Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. Before we get started, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes, I am Kate Samples Williams. We're located in Santa Rosa, California, beautiful wine country, and our business is named Santa Rosa Speech and Language Services. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm very excited to have you on because we have some fantastic things to talk about. Um, before we dive into kind of the meat of what you're doing right now in your private practice, mm -hmm. can you share like a little bit about how you got started? Maybe like what was your first job out of grad school and what did that look like? Yeah, so I have kind of a unique um, experience with speech therapy. So I'm actually part of a family-based private practice. Um, so the private practice originally started with my mom and dad Actually, this year will be 40 years of the private practice. So you do the math. It's been a long-standing one. Um, but I joined my dad as a partner in the private practice eight years ago. And my mom long retired before I joined the private practice. But um, yeah, I was, my CF was in the SNF. And then after that, I then joined the private practice. And when I was younger, I would, you know, during the summertime, I'd be at the front desk greeting clients and filing paperwork and all that kind of thing. Things. So I really just grew up around the private practice. It's really a, a piece of who I am. And Actually, even our dog, my dog, is part of the private practice. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old poodle named Murphy, um, who's a certified therapy dog. So he comes and he does his part of the job, too. So it's, it's a, a family affair. <laughs> I love that. It inclusive of, of pets, too. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So, okay, so you have this family visit. So we're mom, are mom and dad both SLPs? Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. A whole family of you people. <laughs> it's in the genes. <laughs> so, okay. So, but you go to, so you grew up 
like in the practice doing the front desk, you know, mm -hmm. cleaning up the magazines and whatever else. Exactly. But then you did your CF and a sniff, which I think is great just to kind of expand your horizons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, you know, I've spent my whole life learning from my parents up until that point, And I wanted to um, go out on my own and kind of learn from other people as well and bring that back to our family business. And um, I think it's really good and important to see different settings and get experience of what you like or you don't like. Um, in our private practice, we have a, a freestanding outpatient clinic, but um, we've also have been very fortunate to have opportunities to contract within the community. So um, we've done schools, uh, long-term care, acute hospital, um, a language and learning center. I mean, there's literally probably every setting I've worked in. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So so do you work in the private practice? Do you work mostly with adults or do you do kids too? Everybody? A little bit of everybody. So I think my youngest that I've ever worked in, in with private practice was 10 months old and the oldest was 103. So, and everybody in between there and a variety of diagnoses. Um, but we're, we're one of the only businesses um, or private practice that work with laryngectomies. So that's kind of, we do it all, but we also specialize in that. We hold a support group for laryngectomies as well. And I, I love dysphagia. I have a lot of experience in that too. So, so this is really, it sounds like a fairly generalist practice, but with some specialties. Yes. And I think over the years, um, you find your niche because at first I was willing and wanting to take every kind of person and um, work with everyone. And I think um, as I've evolved in the private practice and as our field has evolved, um, just with, there's so much to each aspect of what we do. And um, I'm finding that specializing in an area is not only better for me, but it's also better for my clients too. Now, who else, who else is seeing clients within the practice? So at this point in time, it's just my dad and I. And then we have an office manager who does everything else for us so that we can really be the best speech therapist we can be. That's fantastic. So I think that you said something that was really important, right? That, that he or she, the office manager, right? Mm -hmm. Does everything so that you can be the best SLP that you can be, right? You right. can focus on what you're good at and they can do what they can do probably faster, quicker, better, et cetera, than you guys can. Oh, a hundred percent. And I really think that um, just how our practice is designed, the outpatient clinic, um, it's, you really can't afford not to pay someone to have this done, in my opinion, um, just because they're, they're worth their weight in gold. They can do things a lot quicker than you can. And then you can focus on your patients and focus on your clients um, and what they, their needs are, and they can take care of the rest. I love it. Does one of the things that they do include insurance or are you guys private pay only? What is your um, reimbursement systems like? Yeah, so we're predominantly private pay. Um, we only contract with Kaiser is our only um, other one. And that's, that's it. Nice. And then you also mentioned, I think that you have contracts with, um, is it schools? 
Yeah. Yeah. So we, if somebody's going on maternity leave or short-term disability mm. in the schools, or they need to fill a spot, um, or just to even help with evaluations, I, we've come in there and done some work for them as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys have a pretty good network within your area. Yeah, I think it, what attributes to that is it being part of the community for 40 years. So it is definitely um, a grounded name in the community. And what's great is, you know, it's a smaller community. So you really get to know everybody and which is nice. Then you can find out what resources work for the client or where you need to send them or they can come to you depending on what their needs are. For sure. And people love to support small businesses, right? Yes. And I think that that's something I often remind SLPs that, that we as private practitioners are small businesses, right? It's not just like the stationary store or the independent coffee shop, right? Exactly. People like to support small businesses, which includes us. Right. We're it. <laughs> We're it. Absolutely. Okay, great. So, um, and Murphy is there. And tell what is, Mur what is Murphy the dog do in the practice? So he has a lot of different roles. Um, he kind of takes over my job of what I used to do when I was younger. I was like greeting the clients. He doesn't file though. Um, yet, yet, yet. <laughs> he does know a lot of good tricks. Um, but he, I use him for different ways. So I can use him as a reinforcement. Um, of say I'm working with a child with articulation or language. I use them as reinforcement for certain sounds or to have Murphy do certain tricks. They have to use complete sentences. Um, I've used a homework chart for people. So, okay, you get, you turn in your homework for five weeks or whatever I want it to be. And then Murphy gets to come, um, all kinds of things. I use it also for um, clients who have high anxiety as well, or, you know, people come to us because they're not necessarily the best uh, place in their life. And they're coming in with all these different emotions. And I have seen Murphy do wonders for people who it just helps ground them and get them focused on what they need to, to do and, and get the job done. Well, I think that that's something that comes up a lot in like the SLP private practice beginners, Facebook group and other places. People say, I really want to do, therapy that includes animals. Like how mm -hmm. do I, how do I either have dogs or, you know, um, some people do hippotherapy. People do amazing things with animals. How did you first decide to bring Murphy into an actual role within your clinic? So I know, so I started, I was in the private practice before I had Murphy. Mm -hmm. And I've always been a dog person. I've always been a very firm believer in the power of an animal and what effect they can, positive effect they can have on that human dog relationship. Um, so, and I, my dad's allergic to dogs. So <laughs> I said, okay, I need a dog that is hypoallergenic so I can take him to work with me. And it was really more like, cause I wanted to have my dog around. Um, but then so amazing. So I got him. He's a rescue dog. He's about six months old. So he's still in his puppy phase. And I bring him to work. And we have this client who um, 
she was about three years old at the time and her, her diagnosis left her without legs. So she was really close to the ground. Um, and she was finishing up a session and I asked mom, I said, Hey, can I, uh, uh, bring Murphy. Can I have them meet? She goes, Oh, she's terrified of dogs because they're always up above her. And, um, I don't know, but you can try and I said, okay, okay, we'll see. So she comes, comes out and I go, oh, here's Murphy. And Murphy instinctively gets on all fours with his belly on the floor and starts like military crawling all the way to her. And from that moment on, her language exploded. She was almost nonverbal. And then she was like singing songs about Murphy. So I was like, oh, I got to get him, you know, officially trained, certified and what's going on because he, he's just a very special dog and that's part of his calling too. So I don't want to take that away from his experience. Oh my gosh. What a, what a beautiful experience, first of all, for that girl and mom and family and for you. And then that just sort of, like you said, reinforced that this was going to be a true role for Murphy and not just like, you know, the niceness of having your dog at work, right? His temperament was really good to be a good fit and the whole hypoallergenic thing so that he could be around your dog. I mean, your dad rather. Right. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's done some powerful work. <laughs> so, okay. So that's fantastic. So you have all of these different niches you have this cool aspect of having, you know, a therapy dog available for clients with all sorts of different needs. Um, what are some other things that you would say that you were passionate about as an SLP um, or, and or private practitioner? Well, one thing I'm very passionate about, and this comes from my own personal experience is really the importance of self-care as a self-employed speech therapist. Yeah. Um, we are help, we're in the helping professions, right? We love to help people, that's what we do. Um, and I, I think that we sometimes get the end of that help that we like to give to other people. And uh, I've learned from my own experiences that um, you got to fill up your own cup to be able to pour from. I mean, first of all, I completely agree with you, right? That as helping people, people, we tend to think of others first and ourselves second, right? And we, we give and give and give until oftentimes, I mean, I think that's a lot of where burnout comes from, right? Like in different settings. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think too, a lot of us, including myself too, um, get into the private practice setting because they are burnt out of whatever setting that they were doing before. Um, mine, I think the burnout for me started in grad school because that's just such an intensive, long period of time um, of just pure focus on learning. Um, but, you know, I found out just by switching um, environments, did not necessarily, it, it remediated some of the effects of my burnout, but I found that later on that because I hadn't actually treated the burnout or compassion fatigue, that I was still seeing some of these negative effects come up while I'm in my private practice helping people. Right. So that's interesting, right? Because you bring up something important, which is that you, you took control over your professional life, but there was still either some residual things that kind of maybe carried with you, 
or that you hadn't made adjustments somehow to um, compensate for this burnout that was maybe kind of, or maybe not burnout, but whatever, simmering in the background. So so what did you do about that? Uh, So I'll tell you kind of my journey of how, how this came about. And I'm sharing this because I want people to be aware of this because this is a real thing. Um, burnout is actually on the ICD-9 codes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, this is legitimate. And I hope that you all can learn from my, experience, my own experiences. Um, but like I said, I came um, into the private practice thinking, oh, this is great. It's flexible. I can, it provided better opportunities for me to do my own self-care. Um, but with that... Um, you know, I found that my office manager was even telling me things like, are you sure you want to put this on your schedule because you might get sick? And I literally would get colds or bugs or something like that um, because I would run out of batteries, basically. I would run myself dry. Um, And then it wasn't really until Let's see, I was at the point where I was working full time, I was managing the business, um, I go, was going back to school um, to get my doctorate, uh, my husband and I uh, just bought a house and moved till I finally realized it was a big slap in the face. Um, you can't deny it anymore, you've got burnout, you've got compassion fatigue and you need to do something about it. Um, so it was a big wake up call yeah. for me. Cause I would just, basically, you know, just tell myself, oh, you know what, it's, it's a little overwhelming right now, you're going to be fine, or, you know, this will pass. And, you know, those are just little hints from the universe telling you, hey, get this on your radar. Well, right, because we can always make excuses. Well, as soon as the move is over, things will be better, right? As soon mm-hmm. as I, you know, uh, defend my dissertation, it'll be over. As soon as I write it, as soon as I do this and that and that. Um, but there's always going to be something next right there's always something new that then we add to our plate and sometimes the things that we add to our plate are even bigger than the other things exactly exactly till you're juggling what are those like the whirling dervishes right hoping that you don't fall you know make a plate fall <laughs> yeah exactly so so what did you do once you kind of recognize that this was a thing were, were there things in particular that you did to help yourself So being someone who loves research, that was my step one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went and did my own research and I became a certified compassion fatigue professional. So I have that with me. And then um, I totally actually changed my entire dissertation topic to um, talk about burnout and compassion fatigue with speech therapists because Talking to others, um, I realized that I was not the only one. Um, so it, it's just spreading this awareness and getting it on people's radar of this is something um, that one is actually a thing. You're not crazy. You're not making this up. This is legitimate. Um, but what what the research showed was there's these self care tips that are really beneficial um, in relieving some of these burnout and compassion fatigue negative effects. Um, so what are a couple of things that you found worked for you? Yeah. So thinking specifically for private practice, um, the first one that really worked for me was 
exercise. This is like simple in concept, but not simple in execution, right? We all know this is good for us. <laughs> yes, yes um, but it's the time, right? It's finding the time to do it. Finding the time to do it, exactly. That's one more plate that you've got. Um, but but I, used, I used the wrong word. If you say finding the time, then that's impossible, right? Because we don't have the time, right? You have to make the time. Yes, and that's, that is something too, that's an important thing to note because once you have burnout and you have compassion fatigue, it's not like, okay, I'm gonna go do this something real quick and I'm gonna fix all my problems. So once you have this, you, you're more predisposed to having these effects happen again. Um, and so this is, this is like a lifelong thing that you have to do. It's, there's no quick fix to this um, because what burnout really is, is a coping strategy to stress. So by definition, burnout is a stress response or a coping strategy in response to a long-term exposure to demanding interpersonal situations that result in these negative effects. Um, and these negative effects can be physical, emotional, um, intellectual, spiritual, all the above, their whole person. Um, wow. So, okay, well, first of all, also, thank you for, for giving us a definition of burnout because I've, I mean, I, I, I know certainly what it is, but like, I've never really thought about the definition and also just kind of how it happens, right? Like it maybe starts off kind of small and you don't even maybe realize you're kind of in it until all of a sudden you're like on fire. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> until it slaps you in the face and there you have it. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> and there's also a difference too. Um, compassion fatigue I mentioned, and I don't know mm -hmm. if that's as commonly noted as burnout, um, but it's another stress-related concept. And really compassion fatigue, the, the definition of that is that it's a consequence of working with a large number of individuals who have undergone their own trauma over a long period of time and you combine that with someone with an empathetic um who's empathy who's empathy mm -hmm. someone who is empathetic. empathetic yeah yeah that's a word yeah in nature and i mean i think it's safe to say that slps are in the helping profession we have empathy this so we're very susceptible to compassion fatigue too right and so so you get both of them together and it's kind of dangerous so so working out is one solution. Mm -hmm. What are some other things that people can do to um, combat this maybe once they realize that they have it? Yeah, I think the biggest one, one of the biggest I should say is setting boundaries. Yes. So I this know. is- <laughs> Exactly, okay, everybody listening, I want you to say no on the count of three. One, two, three no the more you do it the more comfortable it is but it is hard i get it i get it you know you've gotta you know stick to a schedule so if you say i'm only going to see clients monday through thursday in the afternoons yeah it's so easy when oh you know but we are busy in the afternoons for baseball or something can we see an earlier morning and then you accommodate 
what do you sacrifice by putting in that client at a different time? That's your self-care time, most likely, that you're going to take away from. So having a set schedule um, and sticking to that, because the people that you're going to treat and who are going to benefit from what you have to give at that time are going to be the right people that come to your door. Absolutely. So you have to make sure. Well, and setting those limits, like I'm a firm believer in lunch. Yes. I don't, I've, my whole life, you know, as an SLP, everyone's just eating like Nutri-Grain bars at their desk while doing documentation. And, you know, I just are eating like, I don't know, nuts or something like that. And it's like, you know, just, I, I think it's important to just really like stop, have some sort of like a meal that you're enjoying and taking time to chew and digest <laughs> and just have at least midday some sort of a so a something to look forward to in the morning mm -hmm. and then just a little bit of a you mentioned like recharging your batteries just having like a midday recharge even i think is really important i've always been committed to lunch I love that. And that is what I do too, is I will literally block out my whole schedule and try to stick to that as best as I can. Um, you know, life happens and flexibility is important too. Um, but I think, like you said, I have, I have time dedicated to where I just check my emails. I don't check my emails any other time in, unless it's scheduled in there. Um, because I really find like if you take lunch too, if you have it blocked out of what your intention is, you you're just more intentional with what you do in that, whatever task it is. And so you're getting more out of whatever that task is too. Well, and that's my word for 2019 actually is intentional because I think that, that you're right. You, when we're not intentional about things, our whole life bleeds into the next thing, right? Okay. I mean, I'm as guilty of this as anyone, which is why I chose this as my word. But, you know, I check email all day long. I respond to, you know, I get on the computer to do one thing. And then the next thing you know, it's two hours later. And I haven't really accomplished anything because I, you know, got down a rabbit hole or something, you know? So I think it's, I think that being intentional about what we're doing and when we're doing it is really, really important. So I think those are great. Any other self-care tips or things we should be thinking about? Yeah, another big one, um, and me loving research, is having some kind of spiritual practice. And I'm not talking about religion here, um, although if that lights you up, go for it. I'm really talking about the form of mindfulness or meditation type practice. Um, it, it helps kind of give you a greater sense of purpose we easily can get bogged down in the details of things, you know, the paperwork, the bill paying, all of these little tidbits. Um, but meditation really helps to get the bigger picture as to, and reinforce the why. Why did you come to be a speech therapist? Why are you in private practice? So it helps you look at the bigger picture from a different perspective. So you're not feeling this anxiety um, with getting everything done. Or even yeah. like that disappointment of, I just spent two hours and I can't tell you what I did, but you know, on the computer, things like that. Meditation really helps. Um, and it's, it's not really woo woo. This is actually necessary for us to really be good at what we do um, for not only ourselves, but our clients too, because there's even research out there that shows that 
Medi meditation not only has a is a positive strategy for burnout, but it actually physically changes the brain to activate parts of the brain that reduce stress. So there's all kinds of benefits to it. And it's just so easy to access it as well. You can go on YouTube and type in and follow a guided meditation. There's all kinds of free apps like Insight Timer. Um, there's Simply Habit. There's Happy Not Perfect. Um, and even what you were describing for lunch, there's actually mindful eating techniques that you can use to help not only just give you a break, but actually be present with what you're doing and make it more intentional. That good zing word of 2019. Well, I think that we're usually good at being present during our sessions, mm -hmm. right? Like I think when we are one-on-one -on -one with clients or when we're leading a group or, you know, facilitating a group, whatever we're doing, I mean, I find that I, that's a time where I'm really, really present in my life, giving care to others. Right. But, but what meditation requires you to do is to be present for yourself. Right? Exactly. That's exactly it. It has, it's not to do with your client's time. It's to do with the time that you take for yourself in being present. Yeah. So I think that that's a really important thing for us to, again, to um, not find time for, but to make time for and to schedule that block and this i've i'm just sort of getting into meditation this is my mother has been wanting me to do this for years and years and years and i've always said mom i'm too busy but again, here's your sign right here <laughs> yeah, here's my sign mom i'll let you know um but but because i have really thought about well i i can't find time to do that but i really do need to make time and I don't think it requires a ton of time, right? I think that it's the kind of thing that if you make time for, you can do it um, and probably you get better as you do it more and more. Oh yeah, and there's, you're absolutely right. There's no one right way to do meditation either, which I love. There's all kinds, it's basically mindfulness. It's, well mindfulness is being present in the moment or being aware of the present moment without judgment. So you literally can do that anywhere. Usually starting with a quiet space with your eyes closed is the best way to kind of hone in your skills with that. But you can literally do that anywhere. You can walk and meditate. You can eat and meditate. You can throw that in on stuff you're already doing every day and make that more present to yourself. So has kind of coming through this idea of being burned out to discovering um, like burnout and compassion fatigue and being committed to being more mindful and, you know, exercising and all this kind of stuff that you have incorporated. How has that changed you as a private practitioner? I find that because I'm so much more filled with who I am and present with my own self-worth, to be honest, that you can then give that to other people and that's contagious to other people, that's inspiring on whatever level you wanna talk about. Um, so I find that um, I can't tell somebody to do something and take care of themselves, like you need to do your homework and you need to do that and me not be accountable for my own actions. So I can't 
recommend something that I can't do for my own self. So it's, it's just provided accountability. Um, it's provided a, a better connection with my clients too, as well. Well, and now you'll be able to do this longer, right? Because had you not like kind of caught this and then made specific changes in your life, um, and you have this family business that your parents started that they're like, you know, probably hoping you're going to continue, right? But yeah. if, if you kind of let yourself succumb to burnout and compassion fatigue, you wouldn't be able to do that. Am I right? You're absolutely right. It's so much about longevity and, you know, what you were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, it's if we do this and then we'll get done with it, or we've got to work towards this and check that off, then we'll get, get to this. And it's, life is not a season's work. You're not going to put all your energy into just getting it done for the short term. You want to cultivate, um, not only for yourself, but you want to cultivate a private practice that is your life's purpose or is something that's sustainable. I love that. So is there anything else that you had maybe wanted to say about um, mindfulness or about just balance this kind of um, thing before we wrap up? You know, I, I just want the takeaway message to be, you know, having it on your radar that this is something and building your own awareness to this because you might not be going through this now, um, but it's really important to note. So when you, if this ever does happen, you'll know what you need to do to be successful in remediating these symptoms of it. Yeah. So, so what a gift that you're giving people though, because you're, for some people who might be listening, who maybe aren't having these things, now they can be proactive about it, right? Now they can, they can take your tips of, you know, like saying no and developing mindfulness and getting to the gym and all that kind of stuff before kind of uh, compassion fatigue and everything sets in. Or for people who may be having, you know, maybe a little bit difficult time right now, right? They now have some really concrete strategies of how to start to work through that. And I think that is such a gift that you have given our listeners is just the, um, the ability to, to kind of stop and, and say, like, if I really want to do this, if I really want to be a successful private practitioner and contribute to my community and other people in my life, it really has to start with me. And mm -hmm. I have to make myself better first before I can do all these other things. Yeah. You are the tool to your own practice. So you want to refine your tool to be able to use it, which is you. I love it. Well, let me ask you another question is what is, what is sort of the next six months to a year hold for you in your practice? Yeah, so on the topic of compassion fatigue, um, not just the professional can be affected by compassion fatigue. These can also be family members of mm. clients that we see. This can be caretakers of clients that we see. Um, so what I foresee in the future with our practice is bringing um, a therapist, a marriage family therapist on board um, to address these types of concerns. So while our clients are getting the speech therapy needs, the rest of the team, the family or the caregivers can be getting what they need to get the most out of their, their life too. I love that you're taking this holistic approach. And again, identifying a need in your community and saying, you know, this is something that is 
um, maybe not even just overlooked, but just under-identified. Yes, yes, it is. I think it is under-identified, and I think it's really easy to sweep some of the feelings under the rug. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a great study that was done in Canada that found 76% of the speech therapists they um, interviewed found signs of burnout, and that's across any setting. So I think it's a lot higher than we know or as a field want to admit. <laughs> it's definitely out there. Well, thank you again for sharing, you know, your, your personal journey and your story and about this family business that is so cool and different. I mean, to own a private practice with your parents and be, you know, a partner with your dad and then have your dog involved too. And then, you know, to have really come into your own as someone who's now giving back in this bigger way than probably you ever thought you could do. And now to bring on more of a counseling aspect to the practice to fulfill that need for your clients. I mean, I'm really, really impressed with what you're doing. I think you have some enormous gifts and I just, I'm, your community is so lucky to have you guys to um, be looking out for, again, their speech and language needs and, and laryngectomies and all that kind of stuff, but also their emotional and mental health too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm really honored to be on this podcast and to have the opportunity to share what's really important, an important piece of the puzzle for us. Well, again, thank you for sharing. And hopefully we can check back with you um, in a couple months and see how things are going. And if you have any other tips for us then, or, or if you were able to start this additional aspect of your practice and how that went. I would love to. And if anybody is interested in the research that I'm doing or wants to know more about this topic, um, you're more than welcome to email me at katiespeech at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on our Instagram page at Santa Rosa Speech Therapy. I'll also be hosting an SLP burnout boot camp later this year. So if you're interested in knowing more information about that, please email me. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good night. You too. Now that you've listened to the podcast, I hope that you're all fired up to help more people while making more money. If you need help starting or growing your private practice, I can help. I have created tons of high quality resources for beginning through established private practitioners alike to help you save time, money, and confusion. Just visit www.privatepracticeinfo.com and get instant access to everything from startup guides to marketing plans to ongoing support and mentorship and more. Listen, private practice can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. My job is to simplify the process for you so that you can do what you do best, help people. But first, you have to help yourself. Just go to www.privatepracticeinfo.com and get the resources you need to succeed today. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. 
follow me and send me a DM. I'm at Independent Clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.